The programme which follows is brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. Here in Resonance on 4.4 FM. This is me, Simon Tishko, and this is a very warm and sunny summer edition of Isotopica. Um, what have I been thinking about over the past week? A number of different things, all sorts of people, bits and pieces, odds and sods, as ever, culturally detouring around the world, and one of the places I've aligned has been the world of the world of conspiracy, the world of evidence, the world of moral frameworks perhaps the things how do we make these decisions and what happens this is hopefully going to become as part of a academic study if i manage to get that off the ground and um there was a report last week that suggested that various drugs um rap- uh, uh, commonly prescribed drugs one set for Parkinson's disease and one set of depression, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, have very different effects on one's, could say, one's moral outlook in that the Prozac and things like that tend to make you nicer to other people, more accepting, more sharing, and I guess a better social animal. Whereas the Parkinson's medication seems to have quite the reverse effect making you more fearful more selfish in decision making these are done through quite an interesting set of studies which are very good at benchmarking human behavior as much as statistics analyses meta-analyses and well the scientific method can show which i believe to be very interesting And yet I noticed amongst my friends, those that are more likely to be in the psychedelic world, I must admit, I love a good psychedelic, even though it's been over 20 years since I've taken any such thing. Um, They're more likely to believe conspiracies. They're more likely they or we are more likely to believe conspiracies. We are more likely to believe that um, 20th century science is pretty much a scam and a hoax and that it's all about making profit for international drug companies and that that the fact that we've almost eradicated polio is in fact just a change of name. There's all sorts of weird shit out there. I have to say it puzzles and confuses me and somewhat leaves me rather sad because I find that some of my finest friends sound as if they're on the side of climate change deniers and the people that broadcast Fox News and we know that is never a good thing so I thought I'd start looking a little bit of psychedelia and a little bit of science today we have Ken Kesey and the electric Kool-Aid acid tests and original period sound recordings and interviews with Ken Kesey and some actual tapes from electric acid tests juxtaposed or sat alongside some uh, Welcome Institute films from the 1950s on penicillin and disease, which I think is all rather nice, mixed in with a few other bits and pieces, lots and sorts and things like that, the week that we should be celebrating, I believe. Um, Yanis Varoufakis in Greece, who resigned yesterday as the Greek finance minister after the most magnificent and beautiful no to austerity vote in Greece. Hurrah for democracy, because I actually was prepared to go to sleep for another five years thinking that the no vote might just get it. And as Varoufakis said, 
It's terrorism, spreading fear and misery. Please look at that. Look at the details of what's going on. I think Novara Novara Media, our sister broadcasters on Resonance FM, cover that rather well. And there's lots of information out there. But it's finally some politician is speaking the truth, is speaking from his heart, is speaking with his intellect, is speaking not from self-interest and utterly confusing the world's media and the neoliberal troika and minotaurs of old that um, David Cameron and George Osborne are in this country. And as we wait for another 12 billion in um, welfare... I can't believe it. We're like the turkeys waiting for Christmas. Foul Britannia we are. Let's all move to Greece. <laughs> Let's, in the meantime, pin our ears back and listen to today's edition of Isotopica here on Resonance 104.4 FM and the Electric Kool-Aid Very Welcome Institute Acid Test. The Simon Tishko details of today's show can be found on my website, www.theculture.net. Did you guys come? Yeah. <laughs> the acid test was breaking out into an area in which it had no specific goals. It was just discovering what there was out there if you just continued to move away from the norm. And but and when we got to the end of it, we really had a sense of what the acid test meant to a lot of people. It was a test, and there were people that passed, and there were people that didn't pass. When we did the show up in Portland, to give you an example of somebody who passed, some businessman just walking around the street came in. We charged a buck. For a buck, you got to see uh, us make all our noise, and the dead make all their noise, and, and anything else that happened. This guy was in a suit, and... Uh, had an umbrella, and he he got the customary cup of uh, stuff. And about midnight, you could see him really get ripped. Somebody you know had probably never been anything but drunk on beer. And but he looked around and saw all these strange people. And he looked down, and the, the spotlight was showing down on him. He saw a shadow down there. And stand up straight, put that umbrella over his shoulder, and he says. The king walks. <laughs> and begins to, so the king turns around. <laughs> now the king will dance. What you doing, Hutton? Doodling. Can you doodle? Can I doodle? I can't get it out of my noodle. How come? Because I love you. A bushel and a peck. A bushel and a peck and a hug around the neck. Ouch! Hug around the neck and a barrel and a heap. Barrel and a heap and I'm talking in my sleep about you. About me? Yes, about you. My heart is leaping, having trouble sleeping. Cause I love you. A bushel and a peck, you bet your pretty neck I do. Oh, very. Do you like me, Hutton? Like a glutton! So where's your Como button? <gasps> I love you, a bushel and a peck. 
how much I bushel and the peg Don't you make my heart a wreck Make my heart a wreck Can you make my life a mess Make my life a mess It's a mess of happiness About you About me Yes, about you You're gonna grieve me If and you ever leave me Cause I love you A bushel and a peck You bet your birdie neck I do kind of quiet around here. Well, we can fix that, Barry boy. Let's go! I love you, a bushel and a peck, a bushel and a peck, and it beats me all the heck, beats me all the heck, how I'll ever tan the farm, ever tan the farm, when I want to keep my arms about you, about you, the cows and chickens, let them go to the dickens, cause I love you. Success. Well, you see around you some of the uh, more successful ventures right now. Um, you can see some of the lamest and wimpiest and uh, looniest people in the Bay Area. Well, with what kind of direction do you, do you uh, aim this therapy, as you call it? Well, as a uh, navigator of this venture, I try as much as possible to set out in a direction that in the first place is practically impossible to achieve and then along the way mess up uh, the minds of the crew with as many chemicals as we can lay our hands on so it's almost certain that we can't get there. Uh, well, would you say that uh, it was uh, deliberately defeating them? Um, oh, this is really good. This is, uh, is about as deliberately self-defeating as anything has ever been in history. Uh, most of the people I think involved in this realize that there's nothing to be gained. Oh. Um, that every time you try to lay your hands on something and get hold of it, that you've uh, sold yourself down the river. It's a lie. The first prankster uh, rules is that nothing lasts. And if you start there and, and, and really believe that nothing lasts, you try to achieve nothing at all times. Well, if you're trying to achieve nothing, why do you put so much effort into achieving nothing? <laughs> <laughs> we have, um, we have nothing else to do. <laughs> well, it seems that uh, an absolute uh, nothing would be uh, what you, what you uh, would kind of advocate more than uh, an organiz organized uh, disorganization. Organized disorganization is uh, is like nothing. That's a self-canceling uh, uh, like non-music or uh, see, none of us 
or musicians or uh, navigators or technicians. We're all um, completely bumbling amateurs. First, because like Galileo or uh, Columbus or anybody who makes any sort of discovery at all in this world, they have to do it by accident. Uh, that means that we have to do something that will almost ensure accident. Uh, and since a human being is so damn proficient at, uh, at grooving himself a, a rut and staying in it at all costs so that he doesn't, doesn't get hurt, uh, we have to do something to break us out of that rut. Uh, the rut of our minds, which has been going along the same kind of thinking for so many thousands of years that we don't even realize that, that, that our thoughts are going nowhere new. Um, you don't, you can't have a new idea. You, know, you can't just sit down there and on the toilet and begin to strain and, and, and go forward and find a new idea. You can uh, be enlightened, which is like, ah! Oh! And, and uh, to do that, though, you have to wander into a new area. Well, uh... Staying along the same line, more or less, with the type of sounds and noises that uh, you'll be using, what is their purpose? Imagine how it used to be like when people started talking. Um, the first guy that uh, that ever realized that he could use this mechanism in his throat to make a, a sound that would uh, uh, communicate a feeling, emotion, or fact in, in the brain of another uh, being over there. Um, at that time, we probably were humming all the time. We were probably making just continual noises. Uh, it's done, like I was saying before, to emphasize something that's going on with us. Uh, there is, right now, uh, between you and I, a, a weirder thing happening than usually happens just because we're getting close enough to begin to examine it. Um, you get a lot of people examining it for a long time, it gets very weird. It's extremely weird. And this is what, uh, what we're headed towards. In other words, that is the trip. Well, the trip is um, an open circle, I think. Everything else is closed circle. The, the trip means that there's still a place and what is happening for me to fit into, or for you to fit into. Um, if you're listening to the radio, it's a closed circle. It's already happened, you know. But this, this all has to do with time. You see, when I say something now, it's taking how long for the voice to get to you, to your ears and your, your head, so that whatever I do happens at a point in time and finally reaches you by mirror, by whatever you want to call it. By then, it's a closed circle. There's no place for you to interrupt them. Uh, everything is closed circles between people. When you get when you get an open circle, it's dangerous. It's like children or animals. Uh, it means they demand you uh, doing weird things, like uh, playing a harmonica that is going nowhere. Uh, that any moment you can add to it your own kind of noise, and it's part of it. Uh, this is different from uh, Beethoven's book, which is finished. There was a time when we avoided fame because fame was almost the kiss of death. 
uh, fame meant Tom Jones and John Denver. But uh, cream rises, and people can recognize it. And as the dead, the longer they've played, they haven't needed anybody to hype them. In fact, if anything, they've gone the reverse to uh, uh, let people think, oh, there's nothing happening here, because everybody knew from the very beginning that this was right, and it was going to continue uh, just the same way that uh, those flowers bloom, that it's genetically... Uh, Purposeful. It knows what it's doing, and it will grow to its proper height, and uh, it will bear a flower. And all we have to do is keep people from tramping around in the flower garden. Ken Babs, right? Blonde haired. Mm -hmm. Ken. Oh, that's the guy back there. We've already got him on microphone. Oh yeah. No, we've been picking all that up too. <laughs> What are you doing, Ken? Just goof. Let him do it. Whatever he's Just doing. goof. Why? Just fun. That's all. Just good, honest fun. A hard day's fun. Been working at it all day. Sometimes I put in 18 hours a day of fun. <laughs> 18 hours a day? Yep, at least sometimes. When I really get going. When it starts to accelerate and builds up, then pretty soon I'm just having fun all the time. That's uh, the best thing, right? Well, who knows? <laughs> but it's fun. <laughs> What about death for you? What about it? That's the termination of your fun, right? Who knows? You don't know. No, I'm not dead. Oh, so it's possible. So death for you is something that's up in the air. You don't, have, you don't have any ideas about death. Ideas about death? Yeah. I don't have any good ideas about it because if I did, you'd hear it. <laughs> that's for sure. No, I must not have because uh, death, you know, death. What about it? Well, would you like to die? <laughs> what a question. <laughs> Boy, yeah, is that some kind of a threat or something? <laughs> what do you want, my money, my harmonica? Huh? That's all I got, no, no, plus no. my bandana, my knife. No, you used that to kill me. <laughs> Can't have my knife. How about a cough drop? No, that's fine. <laughs> okay. Oops, excuse me.
take two. Ladies and gentlemen, here we are, indisposed as it were, at this end of this Sound City situation, and we're entitled to take two. Of what, may I ask? God knows, I'm answered. Take two. They're small. Take two. That's all. Take two. Then quit. Take two, man, and then... That's it, split. No, I, I, I'm interested in you, because you and I, 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 if I put the microphone away... They were playing what was in the air. Um, when the dead are at their best, they're, the vibrations that are stirred up by the audience is the music that they play. And consequently, when we'd go to L.A., you'd get one kind of thing. When you'd go to Portland, Oregon, you'd get a completely other kind of music. And that means that the band has to be supple enough to really... Uh, read the notes written on the wall and that, and that they're changing all the time. Um, I don't know of any other rock band that could have done it. Usually, when, when it sort of started when we went to see the Beatles. They went up to see the Beatles with us in the, in the bus. And 
we saw, I saw power like I'd never seen it, never imagined it before. The, when one of the Beatles, when George would turn his head like this, you'd hear this screaming wave follow it, follow his head like this. And what the Beatles were saying was, come closer, come closer, uh, love me do. And the people were pressing closer and closer, but they didn't know how to sing that moment. And the moment needed to say, don't come closer, stay back, stay back, stay back. If this is heaven, Belches of satisfaction as the good man looked down and said, Who called me? Hey, listen here, we got some kind of bad news that I gotta tell you about. I've been offered this one way ticket to a place, and it turns out it's all mine. It ain't even the name. <laughs> well, Chillin, you bought your ticket, and it's a certainly one way job, and I tell you, it wasn't nice. That's right. I can't deny that, but suddenly it became something else, some sort of inner working of the diabolical mind of the human brain, which passed it outside the realm of that crazy mirror and uh, electrical impulses. by those who are forced to listen. 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 The heart's a bad note. Listen. There it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're supposed to at once. The electrical impulses reach out to the fingers. And it comes back into the method of those things. It's stimulating It's not communication. It's not unreachable communication. It's somewhere else. It's on another plane. Astral, astral, astral. Beholden ear, 
But these people have completely and totally wicked out into some sort of absolute divinity. But it's not that, it's just good, honest to God ticket. It's just good, honest to God ticket to that one-way road of the only heaven gates we all know. And I say, it's all Sweet mellow hand laying on you And I mean to tell you the sound like symphony you've heard When you was a little kid It's because it's still true Brothers Oh brothers It makes my old little heart beat Three times It's slow to thirty-three and a third pause I came to the third astral elevation as a mere child and danced in formed of jubilation throughout the multitudes. But I doubted for one second and my body began to give away. <laughs> They're looking for magic. Uh, when I did my uh, writing class, I started the writing class by showing the people this. And the reason I like to do that is because there's a moment when you see something like that, there's a crack in your mind. And you know it's a trick, but you can't figure it out. And that crack lets in all the light. Uh, it opens up all the possibilities. When that little split-second thing happens, when the dead are playing, and everybody in the audience goes, wow! Did you see that? That is the, that's the moment. And kids will watch five hours of mediocre music to have that one click happen because that is, puts them in touch with the invisible. Elves and fairies and Pan the Piper danced too before it was all coughed out. Tied it to a string after a long ago trout. Hello, Timmy Lee. I've come down here to visit you tomorrow and bring you a donut. Well, come on in and give it to me and we'll see what can work out. Oh, gosh. You know, I just saw Tommy Robin down there at the creek and it was such a thrill. He had his new feathers on, you know. Tommy, Tommy's such a nice guy. And Perry Pilwinkle, he's such a frit. You know, he was up all busybody and giving everybody so much trouble this morning. Oh, but here, have another donut. Hey, did you hear? I think we tell you this, but did you hear about C? No. What? He went. Oh, I hate to tell you. Right, but without deviation, the slightest echo. 
And if anyone could put something more on something else, I would listen or I'd let the dead sing some. Yeah, it'd be good because everything is just so nice. <laughs> My voice is completely shot, Kat. I can't even hold it. I can't even keep a pitch down.
poverty, hunger, and disease. These three ancient enemies of man still stalk hand in hand across too much of the world. Of the three, disease can be said to be the most deadly. Disease often fathers hunger and poverty. This is the story of how one of the mightiest weapons against disease was forged. It is the story of penicillin, the first of the modern wonder drugs known as antibiotics. Penicillins are only one group of antibiotics among many. And in laboratories throughout the world, the search goes on for more. To learn how the first of them, penicillin, was discovered and developed, one must know of the work of three British scientists. What they achieved has revolutionized medicine. Sir Alexander Fleming, for the initial discovery of penicillin. Dr. E.B. Chain and Sir Howard Florey for their finding its curative power to benefit millions. Early in the 1920s in London, Alexander Fleming, a young bacteriologist, worked in the inoculation department of St. Mary's Hospital. Familiar with antiseptics and inoculation as weapons to help the human body battle against disease germs, he began to wonder what natural defences might be possessed by exposed parts of the body, such as the eyes. In each place, Fleming found a protective substance which could destroy some germs before they invaded the body. Some germs, but not all, and not the most deadly. In one of the glass dishes where he cultured germs for his experiments, Fleming noticed one day in 1928 that some mold, such as appears on decaying food, had begun to grow, a spoiled experiment. But with mind alerted by the earlier work on protective substances, he looked closer. He saw that near to the mold, no germs were growing. Might it be that this mold, like the human body, produced a substance capable of destroying germs. He made tests and found that even some of the most dangerous germs died near to the mold. He then grew the mold in a meat broth liquid. The color of the liquid changed finally to a bright yellow. This liquid proved lethal to germs. 
even when greatly diluted. Not pure enough to be injected into a human body, it was nevertheless effective on wounds. Fleming published what he had done, calling his substance penicillin. Attempts to purify it and to extract its essence failed. In the 1930s, a new chapter opened at the University of Oxford. The professor of pathology, Dr. Howard Florey, was joined by Dr. E.B. Chain. Together, they planned a research project on natural germ-killing substances. They unearthed the now old papers on penicillin. They formed a team. The great quest was on. First, Chain and his colleagues set to work on the chemical problems of extraction and purification. They found a way of transferring the active penicillin from liquid to liquid until it was held within almost pure water. They froze off the water, which left a brown powder. Here was a powerful form of penicillin, still crude, but which produced no ill effects in animals. Flory prepared the great test. The germ Streptococcus is a killer. This he injected into mice. Half of them then received the brown powder. Those who had been given the penicillin lived and were healthy. And Professor Flory declared, it looks like a miracle. But attempts to make it pure enough for man caused it to lose its potency. Chain and a colleague, Dr. Abraham, then devised another method. Dissolving the crude penicillin in ether, they passed it through a long tube filled with alumina, each substance producing layers of differing colors. In the yellow layer was penicillin. They repeated the process again and again. Now Flory could try penicillin on human beings. The results prove the healing power of penicillin. But by now, World War II was raging. The need for penicillin's healing power was enormous for soldiers and for civilians. But in 1941, purified penicillin was still desperately short and Britain was hard-pressed by air attacks. To make the quantities needed, it was decided to seek help in the United States. Here, scientists devised better ways of culturing penicillin which could give much bigger yields. Production in quantity could now be foreseen. With encouragement from their government, American drug companies tackled the difficulties of producing penicillin on an industrial scale. Flory returned to Chain and the others, able to look forward to supplies for further research. Alexander Fleming had a patient dying of meningitis. Fleming turned to Flory 
and Flory gave him all the penicillin that could be made available, and with it, his advice. Profoundly impressed by this personal experience of penicillin's dramatic power, Fleming addressed himself to the British government about the need for large-scale production. And the press took up the cause. The big British chemical and drug companies and the research workers now also projected the big-scale production of penicillin. The mould was grown in thousands of flasks. Britain's output joined the huge supplies now coming from the United States to give life to hundreds of thousands of soldiers. By the end of the war, flasks had been replaced by great steel vats, each making 15,000 gallons of penicillin liquid, and huge factories were in production both in Britain and the United States. Penicillin was now for the world. Everywhere curing the sick, everywhere saving lives. But some deadly germs had forms which resisted penicillin. This was a challenge which research had to meet. In the middle of the 1950s, a famous British drug company set up a special team to work in close collaboration with Professor Chain. And in 1959, a breakthrough. This is the core the main building block of a molecule of penicillin. Alone, it possesses no germ-killing power. But add other groups of atoms to it, and you make a penicillin. Add one group of atoms to it, and you make the original penicillin. Add others, and you make an ever-growing family of new penicillins. The great discovery, for which, in 1945, the world rightly and gratefully honored Dr. E.B. Chain Sir Howard Florey and Sir Alexander Fleming, pioneers in a struggle which promises now to drive back that ancient enemy, disease. When you hear ripple, uh, you know it's dealing with something beyond the veil. It doesn't say so, but the thing where there is no pebble tossed and the ripples in the water, everybody gets this chill up and by that. It's the same thing as you when you read uh, Shakespeare or Sappho or, uh, or the Bible, that, that the poetry is there. Um, these guys have known it a long time and they have just been the custodians of it. And uh, it's, it's a great honor and a lot of fun to be ringside with stuff like this. It really is. You will, uh, I think that in, in 20 years, whoever is still alive will, will still be working at what they're doing. They, they, there's no place else to go. It's like me, you know, I buried my kid right out there on that place. I can't get off this land. 
you know, they would take it would take tanks to move me off this land. It, it uh, the dead aren't going to get up off that. Um, they're going to defend it to the end of their life. Uh, they're warriors. Volcanoes. Earthquakes and hurricanes. All these show nature at its most violent, causing great damage and hardship. But they also release another menace. Rescue services can give immediate help to the victims of these disasters, but urgent vaccination programs are frequently needed as well to prevent an even greater loss of life. One of the most serious consequences of the disruption caused is the breakdown in sanitation. We often forget that our lives are made safe by many complex hygienic measures. Clean, clear water, we take it for granted. But first it must be thoroughly filtered. Before chlorination was introduced, water used to be a major source of disease. Sewage is also thoroughly treated. Step by step, it gets cleaner all the time. This effluent is rather different from the raw sewage that used to contaminate our water supplies. Our milk is heat treated and packed into clean bottles and cartons. It was formerly a dangerous carrier of tuberculosis and other diseases. The large scale production of anything we eat and drink requires the manufacturer to take extensive safety precautions on our behalf. However, despite all this effort, many of us still go down with foodborne diseases. Unfortunately, it's not enough to rely on other people. We also have a part to play. Not all of us live in fear of volcanoes or hurricanes, but each and every one of us is affected by some of the tiniest of nature's creations, the bacteria. So what are bacteria? Strangely enough, they're plants. Of course, the grasses, flowers and trees are well known to all of us. Less familiar are the lichens growing on wood and stone, or the green algae which live in our streams. But there is another world of plants, a microscopic world of moulds, and smaller still, of bacteria. A colony of millions would only be the size of a pinhead, yet they're all living organisms, individuals in their own right. Bacteria come in a diversity of shapes and sizes. However, they're all quite simple organisms. They're often referred to as germs, because many people think of them as harmful, but some are useful to us. Without the microbe Acetobacter, these bottles of vinegar could not have been made. The bacterium Lactobacillus was essential to the ripening of these cheeses. But others do cause disease and a few poison food. Even a child can be taught that raspberries are good to eat and deadly nightshade is dangerous. But how is a cook to keep harmful bacteria away from food if we cannot see or even smell them? In fact, it's not that difficult once you know a little about them. Of course, bacteria also have to eat 
they just take in the chemicals they need through their cell walls. Because they're such simple organisms, they cannot actively search for food. They always need help to get from place to place. But once they're there, the trouble starts because they also release chemicals into their surroundings. Some of these can be extremely poisonous to us in even the smallest quantities, and they're called toxins. Many bacteria like the same kind of food as we do. The harmful ones may release their toxins into the food, or they may wait until they're inside us. Either way, a little chewing won't affect them in the least, and any that are able to survive the acid in our stomachs will flourish in our intestines to cause the illness we call food poisoning. Like us, they know what's good for them. They particularly like all kinds of meat, fish, and poultry. It's the protein in these foods that they thrive on. So these are the ones we have to protect most. If the conditions are right, they breed. It's another simple process. They just divide into two. But bacteria are nature's fast breeders. Given an ideal environment, within 11 hours, one solitary microbe can have quite a family, 8,000 million descendants. That's twice the human population of the world. It's taken us thousands of years. As a result, there are bacteria everywhere. In the soil, dust, houses, factories, farms, in streams, and in the air. Because they're so tiny, they can lodge anywhere. A fly's foot would seem a mighty plane. Thousands could be picked up or shed with every step. Bacteria cannot move on their own. They depend on being carried by other things. These cockroaches, for example, are by no means choosy about what they eat. A nice bit of cream now, but what were they on before? If they're carrying bacteria, each of these little footprints could be the start of a flourishing colony. Mice will spread bacteria as well, so the answer is to keep all vermin away from food. Environmental health officers have the power to close commercial premises infested with vermin.
You have been listening to I Stop once again on Resonance 104.4 FM. What a joy it is to be broadcasting here in London town. Strange as it may seem. Um, Details of today's show, other shows, previous shows, further wider interests, art practice and all sorts of gossip and things like that can be found on my website being www.theculture.net. Please keep the emails and things like that coming in. We thoroughly enjoy them here at Flight and The Culture Towers. Um, Follow us directly on Twitter and maybe give some direct feedback and join us during the shows at some point. That is at Simon Tishko. If you can't spell that directly off the top of your head, then I suggest you go to the website being www.theculture.net. Hurrah for Greece. Hurrah for a far-left radical government, at least in this side of the world. There is hope out there, comrades. The Internationale is calling... I'm going to go and have a very cool drink and hope to see you, or rather hear you, and join you here on the airwaves in seven days' time on Isotopica. This is me, Simon Tishko, sending waves out, by the way, from Meerkat Island, or to Meerkat Island, where I believe Ava Bergman and I are going to be going and hopefully broadcasting the next few editions of Isotopica from Meerkat Island, which I believe, if you look it up in Google Earth, is somewhere near Tipperton, which is somewhere almost unimaginable and it's all fairly fictitious at this stage, but who knows what will happen. This is me, Simon Tishko, signing out for another seven days. Lots of love. Thanks for tuning in. Bye for now. This programme was brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. Visit our website at resonancefm.com to hear our vast range of original 24-7 broadcasts. Resonance is a not-for-profit broadcast platform that relies on public support. If you like what you've heard, make a secure donation at resonancefm.com.